use the camera that's set up plugged into the computer. So it's an alternative camera to the computer. When I am in the FDU dorm studios, I use just the computer camera because I'm already in a tight space. Well, today, when I plug the computer in, got ready to rock, generally I start the broadcast around 6.55, 6.57, so I could start the shares on all the social media sites. And uh, unfortunately, today... I'm clicking the camera, nothing's popping on, can't see my face, the shirts I hang in the background, nothing, nothing, just black screen. And at first I'm like, oh no, this isn't good, right? Just naturally, I know everyone wants to see my face. But furthermore, just because all that means to me is now I'm going to have to put some money up to fix the camera on my computer. And it comes at a great time though, because um, 10 days away, from finishing my master's in business administration. And for those of you that might not be in school in the last X, insert X amount of years here, for those of you that may have finished your schooling already, or even for those that are in school now, I don't know, at the end of the day, what the last year and a half have proven is that you got to be on Zoom. You got to be able to handle Zoom. You need to know what Zoom is. You need to there's no excuse. There's not much, uh, oh, sorry, professor, the mute button isn't working on my computer. Or what I would be saying now, if I had class tomorrow, is, oh, professor, I can't turn my camera on. It's not working. And by the way, if I have a professor listening out here, I just tried it on Zoom, and it's, it's not working. Because I do have a group presentation later. It's got class tonight at 6. My group's got to meet. We meet over the Zoomage. And we talk about what we're going to present later. So, luckily, I am done after tonight with any class I have to be in via Zoom or old school style classroom, which I think is kind of crazy. But most kids, most of the guys actually that I'd say I'd coach or a lot of the freshmen that came in this year, you have to think about probably weren't in a real classroom over the course of the last two years, let's call it. I mean, like, for the most part, we're probably doing 85% of their schoolwork and their classwork via the Zoomage. So, luckily, the Masters is going to be completed in 11 days. The camera on my computer decides to not work once I've completed the process of being in Zoom classes. So that's a good job out of my computer breaking, which is a bad job out of my computer, but it's a good job out of it breaking at a time when, hey, that's okay. You've already completed the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. And before I add Rocky into this conversation, because must you know, ladies and gentlemen, and you should know this already because you're avid fans, but Rocky Romanella, and that is the co-host of this show, holds a master's degree in his hands. So he, of all people, can can touch on what I'm talking about when I say that, and he has kids, so, you know, take take the children and the getting married out of it. Probably, at least for me, is the it, this, when I get this piece of paper in two weeks, it will be the greatest accomplishment of my life 
Because to me, this was one of, if not the, and it's possibly because I was in the business program or the MBA, I don't know, whatever it is. But to me, possibly could be the hardest thing I've ever had to accomplish. So with that being said, I'll do the easiest thing I do every Monday, which is welcome Rocky Romanella into the show. Rocky, how are we today? Good morning, Mr. Romanella. Congrats on the NBA, man. I, I appreciate that. No congrats yet, though. We, we, have, we, have, we have to finish the last 10 minutes of the third period, and then we'll be able to call ourselves a master's graduate. Got to crush the capstone project. That's a great, oh man, bro. Oh man. I, I, we'll talk about that off air. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's, I mean, I was writing, you know, I share, when I share it on Facebook, I always have a little comment that I like to add. And I was like going through like, all right, NHL playoffs have started. All right. NFL draft happened. Baseball is just rocking right now. And then like, oh yeah, the NBA playoffs are in. I was like, there is a lot happening right now. This is awesome. It, it is. A, this is one of the great times in sports. Because even though the National Football League isn't playing, since there's so much hype around the draft, it almost feels like all four major sports are operating at 100% right now. And you got the USFL, yeah. which I have not watched one game. And I you've got the fan. And you've got this fan-controlled thing, which I don't understand. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, the fan control thing, I definitely don't understand. I think like they get to like send in plays that they want the team to. They're run. on the field. Yeah. Oh, really? Like they, they there was a video. Like first of all, like why was Jameis Winston and Tyreek Hill playing? Like T.O. caught a pass two weeks ago. T.O. was playing. Like, I saw that. He's, he's like fifty, so that's it's, well. It made sense for him to be participating, but to see Tyreek Hill and Jameis in there is it, weird. But like Tyreek Hill picked off Jameis and then like ran through like a hundred people on the field. Like it was weird. They're like on a uh, arena football field yeah. league inside. It's I don't get it. The only thing I've seen of it was the Terrell Owens playing it, and I'm like, this is what it looks like. We're in an arena football league game that also combined with Saturday night at a club in New York City. That was the vibe so, I got. So is it like live Madden? Like you get to call the plays, but like then the players have to go execute them? Is it, That's like all it sounds like. That is that is the understanding that I have as to what fan-controlled football is. Yes, correct. Correct. Weird. And Rocky, by the way, the people are listening to me on the show today, much like they listen to you every week where they – can't really see you, so we are on equal footing as we speak into the microphones today. I mean, we we we. we I mean, it's a radio show. I mean, we, we're really not supposed to be visible. Thank right. you to 2022, we're allowed to be visible. Yeah, really, that's actually a really great point, Eddie. We're a radio show and a podcast, and you know what? Every once in a while, you can look at our faces. So, I mean, I, look at looking to get up on FM dial here in the future. I think. Yeah, well, the people just need to reach out. <laughs> Whoever it is out there. <laughs> The people just need to reach out. Uh, I know we want to start with Hockey with Rocky this week because last week we finished with it and we told everybody that when we got back on these airwaves, there was going to be seeding in the National Hockey League. But I would be amiss if I did not get your actual opinion on what I started the show with, which was completing your master's. That's awesome. It's a great feeling. It's, it's, I think it, like when you go through it, it's awesome. When you are done... You're like, great, I'm done. And then you don't realize that, you know, you don't realize that the content is, is relevant forever. So like, for example, mine was in higher education. So I learned a lot because I thought I was going to work colleges, whatever, long story short. Anyways, you've got like, 
I, I learned about curriculum building, right? So I built curriculums, running classes, organization, all through university stuff. So we go to the pandemic two years ago and, um, you know, running the sales team, which is an outside sales team. So outside sales, which means not inside sales, which is two completely different animals. Sure. You're taking a bunch of people who, who base their success on face-to-face dealings and, hey, they're not allowed to leave their house. I went into the library, into the archives, and I pulled out a book from my master's course called How to Build the, on- the, the Best Online Class. And I used that as my guide to running my team, you know, through the pandemic. That's so it, it's relevant content. So it's not just like a one-time event, which is the best part. Well, I, I appreciate that because while I'm doing the capstone you referred to earlier and helping build a business that operates in Asia, Europe, and the Americas, I'm like, wow. when am I ever going to utilize this? And mom says to me the other day, maybe it was even yesterday when we were at lunch, either way. She said to me, Yo, you never know. And you know what? You're probably right. Like, it might not be me putting a product in Europe one day, but it might be me needing to know that exact same knowledge for something different. Well, and you well just, how, how, yeah, you don't know. How about this? You, you, you probably, what, you took a couple of finance courses? Yeah, dude, I'm in finance right now. It's tough. Awesome. Finance, cool. well, when corporate you're, finance, when you're, finance, by awesome. the way. Awesome. Well, when you're running, you know, when you're running a, a college athletics program, you know, whether it's baseball or something else, like, I mean, the budget is part of what you do. That's finance. No, you are 100% correct. And it's, and it's kind it's now, and my professor is actually great. She is the chair of the finance department at Fairleigh Dickinson University. And she is, she's phenomenal. I had her for an accelerated course last uh, semester online. And wait, Rock, and you, you don't get this often. And, you know, at Wide World of Rome on uh, Instagram and Twitter, if you want to, you know, give us, shoot, shoot us a tweet or, or an Instagram, um, shouting out your favorite professor. Because this, this lady said to me, Rocky, one day, and, and it, was on, it wasn't to be, it wasn't to allow me off the hook in any way, shape, or form. I gave her my baseball schedule. I said, I have your class for the next 14 weeks. And it's every Wednesday and we have seven Wednesday games. And she says, Andrew, you did the, you did the five week with me. The first five weeks of this course is literally the exact same thing. I don't even care if you show up, just do the homework. And I was like, you know what? This is a woman that understands what being a working professional, getting your master's is all about. So thought I'd share that quick story about prof Denning. She's, she's the best and she's helped me significantly understand how to even look at like what stock is and what bonds are and how to evaluate companies. Crazy, crazy stuff, Rock. Too much for me to get into, so I'm just going to do this. Now, inside the glass, hockey with Rocky. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another edition of Hockey with Rocky. My name is Greg Misty. Just kidding. It's Rocky Romanello. I'm inside the glass. This guy. I chose Greg Wisniewski this week because he, he's got the Florida Panthers winning. He's got the Panthers over the wild in his bracket. And I was like, no, nah, I don't, don't necessarily agree with that. So that's just me. Um, Interesting. So how do you want me to, I'm going to ask you, how do you want me to start? Do you want me to go Western Conference to Eastern Conference? Do you want me to go series by series? Like, wh- what are your burning questions from a playoff standpoint? Maybe we'll start there. 
What I would like you to do is simply, <clears throat> and I think I might throw some music on for this. Maybe, I don't know if I can, maybe, I think I can. Either way, I'll figure the music thing out. I want you just to run through really quickly the matchups because we yeah. were breaking down the, what we thought the matchups could be and who we thought maybe you'd want the Rangers to play or who, you know, I said that I didn't feel that strong about the Panthers going in and I know they're playing the Caps in round one and I think highly the Caps. So either way, let's start with, the rundown quickly of each um, of each matchup, and then let's start this. We started Western Conference last week. Then we'll start Eastern Conference this week with the New York All Rangers. Right. So here we go. So in the, the East, so out of the Metro Division, you've got Carolina Hurricanes versus the Boston Bruins. The storyline there is goaltender Frederick Anderson of the Carolina Hurricanes, who had a career year. Tops of the league in goals against, tops of the league in save percentage, like right up there with Igor Shostakovich. I think he led the league in most wins. But Freddie Anderson has a historical history of poor performance in the playoffs, as well as the fact that he's injured right now and he will most likely miss uh, the first three to four games of the series. Where so Carolina will be looking at goaltenders Antti Ranta and a rookie whose name is escaping right, right now, actually. I have it. It's a, it's a Russian kid who absolutely played lights out the last time I saw him play versus the Rangers. Um, so his name is Peter. Peter. So guess how you spell Peter, Andrew? Uh, P-Y-T-E-O-R. You must have looked at his name already because it's P-Y-O-T-R. No, 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 no. No, I didn't. Warner, but <laughs> Kocheskov. <laughs> and... He, he, but he was, I, I feel bad for saying his name wrong, but he is literally, he was the last, he played versus the Rangers. He, he lit him up. So anyway, so it's all eyes there. You want to look, so you've got, you've got a Boston team who picked up, um, Hamhouse went home at the, at the deadline on defense, bolstering their defense. They've got one of the best first lines in the entire league. So look for that series. They go six or seven. I still think Carolina comes out on top. Yeah. You've, on loved, you've other, loved Carolina all year. I, I, people like people are like, listen, they've quietly had the best season in franchise history. They have been relevant now for four seasons in the playoffs. Very, very tough to play against. Great depth, guys that have won the cup on the roster, and you just you can't and you can't deny the fact that like yes, Boston's tough, and yes, they have the experience in the playoffs. But Boston's been up and down all year. So outside of the fact that they're going to be a tough out, like I don't know if Carolina will drop the ball, but I it's going to be a six or seven game series. Yeah, I I I, I completely agree with that, and I don't see. Truthfully, and you'll keep, and I'll let you keep going here, and we'll break it down a little bit more right after. But I don't really see many series in the playoffs that I believe are even going to be a sweep, let alone a gentleman's sweep, which for those counting at home would be a series that ends in five games. I would, I would, if you're gonna, if you're gonna ask me about sweeps, I would look at Edmonton, L.A., and that could be five. Um, no, 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 Drew Doughty in in L.A. Not to mention the team outperformed what it was supposed to do. Um, and then I would also, I think, I think both Pacific series could be short, like Calgary, Dallas. I mean, Calgary's built for, for, for this run right now. Um, Dallas is, is playing well, but I just don't think it was the same Dallas team we saw make it to the Western conference final. Um, I just don't see it. Um, so I would look at those two series 
as your five to six, uh, as your five games or less. I, you know, I'll stay in the Metro here with New York. So we've got the Rangers Pittsburgh. So the story out of Pittsburgh is, is they've just had a, they had a tough finish to the season. Like they got, they had, they had a, a handful of injuries. Crosby's having his best season in recent memory. Um, points wise, et cetera, all, all of the above. I just, I don't know if they, ha- if they have it. And, and I do think that e- even regardless of my Rangers fanship, they have just played too strong to see them, to see them go out. I think the, I think the series is five or six and I think the Rangers take it. Yeah. Well, I think if you had to choose a team on that side that, you didn't want to play. I think for you, you you were fine seeing Pittsburgh um, in the first round. And I think I can give you the perspective of the common hockey fan, where when I'm looking through the playoff standings, getting ready for the show and getting ready to see who's playing who and all this other stuff, I'm like, oh, man, the Rangers pulled the Penguins. And I know we talked about this briefly last week, like when you have a Sid Crosby and the type of guys they have on their roster that have won, it's never an easy task. But of all Rangers teams to face them, the this Rangers team's deep. I believe they have four lines. I don't know how deep Pittsburgh is. I feel like we get blinded by names sometimes and don't really recognize how, how deep a team is. Like, I wonder that about the Panthers. Like, they played so many teams because that's a top-heavy side of the conference so like you played so many teams that weren't that good does that skew why your record is so good and then you have to play the capitals who i also don't know if they have four lines but they've proven over the last five years that no matter what they're going to be a very hard out in these playoffs including winning at stanley cup three years ago so that's going to be so I'll, I'll touch quick pittsburgh is deep like they, they do they, they have yeah depth, i don't know enough this is where you come in They've, they've always had depth. The problem is, is that they're, they are just aging, right? And so I think for both Carolina and the Rangers, it's, it's very fitting that in order for them to kind of take the, the, the leap into, Promise. you know, whatever, right? They, they've got to pass through Boston and Pittsburgh. Sure. I think for both of them, those are the, always the teams that either have their number or they have to get by. So I just think it's very fitting that, that, that those are the matchups. Isn't it funny that Ovechkin had to do that too? <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you've got to, I mean, Crosby, established, they established themselves. I mean, Pittsburgh and Boston, you know, if, if you look 10 years in, in the rear, right, those were the teams that established themselves out of the Metro, yeah. right? Washington was always there, but could never get by Pittsburgh, right? right? You know, Carolina is really more of a recent emergence. They have beaten Boston. They've been swept by Boston. It's just like one of those things, like, you got to go through them. You just have to. And, yeah. and, I think Boston's hanging on to that top line and, and Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron. I think this might be the last time we see them those three together, um, unless something different happens over the offseason. But it's definitely in, in up in the air. The Florida-Washington series is interesting because Ovechkin, if, if that series started last week, Ovechkin would have missed you know the first three games with a shoulder injury. That you know the first series injury I think I've ever seen Ovechkin have. Correct. Um, and Florida, you know, they have three 30-goal scorers on the team. They've played outstanding. Jonathan Huberto may win the Hart Trophy this year. Solid goaltending, solid everything. On paper, seem to be the best. Like, But you could see a Florida Panthers team pull a Ottawa Senators of the past and a San Jose Sharks of the past where they've just dominated the regular season and just 
exit in the first round, or very much like the pre-Stanley Cup Tampa Bay Lightning, um, who exited exited poorly in the first round um, the year before they won the, stand, the first of their two Stanley Cups. So stay tuned. I, I, Florida may be the biggest disappointing loss in the first round. Jonathan Huberdeau, by the way, 115 points on the year, 30 goals. 85 assists, Rock. I think that's a very impressive stat, and I think that goes to why him, but also that team, scored such a high rate because when you got guys having that many assists on your roster, that means you share the puck well, you're always finding the better shot, and that's generally working out. Yep, and we talked about it last week, but but the Toronto-Tampa Bay series, you have to watch. I mean, you've got... The Tampa Bay Lightning, who are off back-to-back Stanley Cups, no team has won more than two in a row since the Islanders did it four times in a row in the early 80s, right? So you want to pay attention to that. They've been a bit of a sleeper team, a little bit up and down. And as you know, in today's sporting world, that fatigue period over the course of the last two seasons when you make deep playoff runs is more of a factor than I feel like ever before. Um, just based on the toll that the guys take during the like you know during during the run, so and the fact that the bubble plus the season like their off seasons have been a lot shorter um, than 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 typical. So pay attention to the Lightning; they've been up and down a bit all year, but they are still very much the team that knows how to win a Stanley Cup. And then you've got Toronto just emerging and like in the back of everyone's mind has what's happened to them twice to twice with Boston and once with Montreal where they've just had disappointing, just heartfelt defeats and underperformed in the playoffs. And you've got an entire nation looking at the, at Toronto to be like, are you, are you the real deal or not? And it's, it's going to be incredible to see the demise if they lose and and what it does to the city. And it's going to be incredible to, you know, to see the bandwagon it creates if they win. I got to tell you, rock, I I can't imagine, right, Toronto not lighting the stadium on fire if they exit the first round again. That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing is the Tampa, the Pittsburgh Penguins are to the Rangers like the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the way I see it. You, you've got to you've got to get past Tampa at Tampa like it's Tampa and Washington. So out of the out of the Atlantic and so it's fitting that the two emerging teams in Florida and Toronto have to beat the two teams that have been there historically. Like Correct. it's just I mean by the way like the story's written, you know, on this in the central side too with the Minnesota like that minute pay attention if, if the Toronto Tampa Bay series is one you want to watch on on the on the east the Minnesota St. Louis series is one you want to watch on the West. Give it to us. Why? I, I, I want to see, I really want to see Minnesota play Colorado. I just feel like every time I caught those two teams playing throughout the regular season, I felt like Minnesota was the one team that actually had an edge on Colorado comparative to anyone else I saw them play. Sure. But, but if you look at the St. Louis Blues, Okay, similar to their Stanley Cup run where they were very poor in, in the winter and, and turned it on in the spring, a similar thing is happening in St. Louis right now where they have just been buzzing over the course of March, April, and May or March and April heading into the playoffs. 
And, and by the way, like Jordan Bennington, who won them the Stanley Cup, is backing up right now. It's crazy. And so, so, so you've got solid goaltending. You've got a history of success. You've got a team that knows how to win the Stanley Cup. And again, you've got a Minnesota team who wants to emerge. Right, they've worked very hard. They offloaded their their two big guys in uh, in Parisi and Suter that was supposed to revolutionize their franchise, similar to Taze and Kane. They did, and that was just a flop over the last ten years. And so, you know, the decisions that they've made organizationally to be in this position this is a big moment for them. So that's going to be a very and and the, the you know that 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 Minneapolis v St. Louis that Midwest hockey belt that runs from Minneapolis through Chicago and, and down in the St. Louis, like where the heart of the USHL is like, there's some seriously strong, passionate fans there. I think it's going to be an awesome series. Who's this, uh, Kirill Kaparov guy that leads them in goal scoring or points? Uh, he's just, he's, he's like, exactly, exactly. Who is he? That's why Minnesota, that's why, that's why, because their, their young stars are coming together they're playing, you know, they're playing a style of game that's physical. It's tough. I'm telling you, when you watch Minnesota play Colorado this year, that like the last time they played, I caught a few minutes and it was like physical checking, good defense, goal scoring ability, speed. Um, and, and, and the, the biggest question in Minnesota is going to be the goaltending, right? Because you're going to start, um, your, uh, um, Mark Andre Fleury over Cam Talbot, who got you here all season, had probably the best season I've seen Cam Talbot play in in his career. You picked up you picked up Mark Andre Fleury at the deadline to make sure that that position was was solidified for a run. I mean, you set yourself up to beat the Blues and get and get to Colorado should they advance. Yeah, you're right. Well, Kaprizov, for to your point, I'm probably saying that wrong. But who cares? To your point, last year, 51 points, 27 goals. This year, 108 points, 47 goals, 61 assists, fifth in the league in points. So when you have development like that from year to year, and to quote you, you offload the players that you believe aren't helping you get there, which is essentially addition by subtraction, you have what the Minnesota Wild are. They they could be a much like a, a little bit younger a Western Conference version of the Rangers where they're just a bunch of young dudes. The Rangers have a, a few guys like Kreider that have at least been in the league for like six or seven years. But either way, the point being is that anytime you watch them, I think you're going to have a lot of fun watching them, which is why they're a team you should turn on. Yeah, it's, it, it's going to be a great series. I think that Minnesota, St. Louis, and then Colorado, Nashville will be fun because Nashville's going to fight. And, and Nashville's having, I mean, Nashville's getting performances from Roman Yossi, Matthew Shane and Philip Forsberg, you know, they're getting these performances that they needed, you know, three, four years ago when they were making runs. And, and so to see them doing it now, uh, a sleeper team out of that central division, um, if they weren't playing Colorado, I would say I'd see Nashville in round two, but because they're playing Colorado, I think it's going to be similar. I think it's going to be a similar cut to Carolina, Boston, where if Colorado doesn't just take the take the next step in their progression and just sweep them, like I, it's a, it, it's going to be a six game, seven game series, and every other, I mean Minnesota and St. Louis, both of them are hoping Nashville takes Colorado to six games minimum. Sure, no doubt, because Colorado 
seems like a daunting task uh, for anyone that plays them. But if you can get a Nashville team to wear them down, it's like a two-strike at bat that lasts nine pitches. Even if you still get out, that next guy might get a really nice first pitch because you just made that guy throw nine pitches. Yeah, I like Colorado similar to, to Toronto from a, from a high-flying offense speed, like ready ready to go. And, and I mean, it, will, it wouldn't be as disappointing if Colorado lost just based on the markets and, and, and the fanship. Like Denver just isn't going to – it doesn't – it's Toronto. Toronto is like the Yankees. You know, like from a hockey standpoint, everyone talks about Toronto. You're like, you can't – if you're listening to NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM like, and you don't hear about the Maple Leafs on any segment, then you're just – it's weird. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it's the, always the reference point, similar to how New York sports is always our reference point. Like, that's just how it goes. Right. Uh, I don't think, so Colorado doesn't hold that weight, but, like, if they, it, it would be interesting to see if they're going to, if they're going to fall during the playoffs. I mean, I just don't know if their defensive core is as deep as it needs to be for the run they need to make. And when you have teams like Calgary and Edmonton on the other side, you know, it's, Maybe maybe they're in the maybe they're in the conference finals, but I don't know if they make it to the Stanley Cup final in Colorado. Sure, I understand that. All right, well, all right. First off, I got to ask this question. Okay, how much time do we have you for today, Rocky? Today you got me till about seven fifty-five. Okay, so it's seven thirty-eight. We have you till seven fifty-five. That puts us at seventeen minutes. So I do want to get a because I know as you mentioned when you got on the show, there are a lot of a plethora of sports, a charcuterie board, may I say, of sports on the table for us, okay? So I do want your opinion and some other things, and I'm going to let you choose that. But before we get off of any hockey with Rocky and close up shop on this one, by the way, at Wide World of Rome, you're listening to The Rome Show here on 12 Ounce Sports Radio, Zingo TV, Channel 761, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter Live. I want some predictions out of you. Uh, I don't, I'm not asking for Stanley Cup predictions. Okay, you can give me a way too early hot take prediction if you want to on who wins it. But all I really want you to do is just is just tell me who you believe. And you kind of mentioned it before, but just so if the people at home have some bananas and they say to themselves, I'm going to go into the hockey side of things. Let me listen to Rocky. That's why it's called Hockey with Rocky. Who would you be choosing? So I'm going to take Florida over Washington. Okay. Do you need me? Do you want me to choose the game? Florida over Washington. How about now? Okay, now I'll, I'll list them off for you now. Toronto versus Tampa Bay. I got Toronto and seven. Wow. Now that is Toronto and, Toronto, hot take. That's a hot take. Yeah. I'll take Toronto and seven. I want Florida and six. Okay. I've got Carolina and I've got Carolina and six. Okay. I've got the Rangers and five. Of course. Only you do. because I think they'll end up winning an overtime game to, to, to make it five when it should really feel like six. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's game it's game four and they win it in overtime when in actuality they probably could be two yep. two going back. Yeah. No doubt. I'll take Colorado in five. Okay. I wanna take uh, I'm, I'm wanna afraid take- of this. I'm a <laughs> I'm afraid of this pick, but I'm going to take Minnesota in seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, all right, all right. You just, yeah, it's hard to pick against the hot team coming into the postseason. I know. I'm going to take Cal. I'm going to take Calgary in five. Okay. And Edmonton in six because I just want to, just like hoping for a disappointment, more for like just like one disappointing moment in that series, just so the media goes nuts. Yeah, but they end up winning. Truthfully, I'm not going to lie to you. I am rooting hard this 
postseason for all the Canadian teams to keep winning because how awesome would it be if it was like Edmonton, Toronto to go to the Stanley Cup final? You know you get a Canadian team, which is, I think, always great because the, it's. I think it is a country pride thing. Either way, um, that's what I'm rooting for. So um, that's my vibes. Any last thoughts before you close up the Hockey with Rocky uh, shop here? I just... I just want to say thank you for not making me pick the whole bracket. Oh, like I, yeah. I like going one round at a time. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it like, doesn't. I don't want to be. It doesn't look. I'll just no. repick after I see them play. Yeah, it's un. It's unnecessary. It, it's okay for you to say if I had to take a team, maybe that I'm feeling the best about being able to win this whole postseason. It's X team. But for me to sit here and say Calgary is going to beat Dallas, and then Dallas is going to play Edmonton because they beat Los no, Angeles and Edmonton. Nah. It's not like it's not like the basketball tournament. You just don't do it. Nope. And by the way, my my favorite team is in, and I really and my favorite team. So the Rangers. By the way, quick stat for you on the Rangers, and then we can go on. Do you, are you doing a junior hockey thing before we move to the to the draft? Or no? I, I did not choose a junior yes, hockey this good. week because I was focused <laughs> on the, the postseason. That's fine. The Rangers won 52 games this year. The last time, the last two times they won over 50, 93-94, wow. 2014-2015. Both went to the Stanley Cup post, uh, the playoffs, the Stanley Cup finals. Both went to the final. Yeah, that's it. They both went, they both they won one of them, one for two there. It's 50%. That's good. It's all right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is hockey with Rocky. Clap it up. Wow. Just wow. Exceptional segment, Mr. Wojnowski. That was phenomenal. Phenomenal stuff. Um, <laughs> like Rock, what we're going to do really quickly is we're going to take a quick break. Um, we like to pay the bills here on the Rome Show. And then we'll come back. And on the other side of the break, since we have you for till about 7.55, uh, we're going to let you, you have two, two minutes right now, figure out what you want to tell the people in your last 10 minutes on the show. Sounds good. All right. We'll be back in a second here on the Rome Show, 12 on Sports Radio, Zingo CV, Sound 761. It's the Rome Show! Hello, and welcome back into the Rome Show here on 12 Ounce Sports Radio, Zingo TV, Channel 761, Facebook. YouTube, Twitter, live, Andrew Romanella on the line with me, my brother, Rocky Romanella. And Rocky only has a few, about 10 so minutes left on the show. So we told you before the break, we were going to give Rocky the chance to take the show wherever he'd like for the next 10 minutes. So we hand it over to the man himself. So, so the first thing I've got is NFL draft. Okay. Nine total quarterbacks were drafted over the weekend. And I've decided that I want a completely separate draft just for quarterbacks, for position players. <laughs> That's Where did all the quarterbacks <laughs> go? Where, where are all the quarterbacks? Four of the nine drafted are from one double A school. Um, I just think that, and you, you know how this operates from your time coaching a, a sport. But, like, sometimes you just have a course of recruiting class years where there just weren't players that were good enough that would eventually turn into professionals. I don't, I don't understand, but how is it okay? Okay, so Kenny Pickett is the only first-round quarterback drafted. Correct. Play from, from Pittsburgh. I love okay? that he went to the P- P- Pittsburgh, and by the way. You're telling me, so, so, so 
Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, who what right Bay a good year. You've got Matt Corral, Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant from Iowa State playing in the playing at Iowa State. Like they play real teams. Yeah, but I don't think that really matters. I don't understand. I don't understand. Whereas, like but in a draft of- class where everyone's good, Kenny Pickett's dropping to Mister Irrelevant. Because they didn't believe that the quarterbacks were good enough. They didn't. They don't. No, none. No one believes that these quarterbacks are going to be long-term starters in the National well, Football League. Minus well, apparently well, Kenny Pickett. But, but why does football do? Why do we do this when we evaluate football talent? I don't understand. Yeah, because like, ultimately all five guys drafted this draft could be better than all five first-round picks in the last three years. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't understand. Like this year, okay, well, there's no huge names or big guys like. So we're going to look at actual like talent level, like ability to throw a ball and to read a defense and all this other stuff, and like we're going to make selections based on that. But like in any other draft, like these guys would be like, "Yeah, he's probably going to fall off. Like he's really not that good. It doesn't have what it takes. Like whatever it is." And you're like, "What?" I, I listen. I agree with you over how these things are evaluated. It's really a crapshoot in my opinion. Like it doesn't matter what pick you're at. If you don't show up and produce, it's going to look like a bad draft pick. It, it could be picked in third round. Did, like the did guy every power five team in the country, not have a senior quarterback. Dude. No, that, well, a that's, they don't B that senior quarterback could have been Jake Fromm. you know what I'm saying? Like that's what, and, and what is you could Jake Fromm gets drafted first out of any of these quarterbacks if he's in this draft. Um, I still think Kenny Pickett gets drafted before him. I I think, but I I agree with you though. He's probably like he's 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 going before Desmond Ritter. So I I understand your point. And for those of you listening at home on the road or Malik Willis from Liberty, wherever you're listening, Rocky's point here is that the he the, the year by year it changes. And he thinks that's stupid because if every year the quarterback is important, why is the quarterback not important important every year? And if every year we keep missing on the these people or or getting it wrong, why do we keep going about it the same way? But I, I don't know. It's the definition of insane. And I, I and I love the fact that the position. I mean, people paid attention to the positions. People paid attention. I to thought what that they was needed. what's the most fun for me. It was like this is it, great, man. It, We're getting locked into offensive line. It was. <laughs> No running backs. Like we're not putting the entire we're not putting the entire state of the draft class on one pick. See, with, I thought someone. I thought you would have loved this draft. I see. I me, do love it. I, I do love it. it. Awesome. Doesn't mean I don't. I do love it. I that's why I do love it. But it doesn't make it still makes me like I literally one of the first things I did when it was over. I'm like I wonder how many quarterbacks went because I know no one cared. No, everyone cared. And, I see. I was annoyed by that. I'm like, why are we still talking? Okay, I get it. Wow, this is the first draft since ever that only one quarterback was picked in the the top 40 picks. Well, you know what? Maybe it's either one or two things. It's what Rocky's saying, and they're undervaluing the quarterbacks that were in this draft. Or it's what I hope it was, is that people are starting to get smart here 
and say, okay, hold on a second. It really doesn't matter if Trevor Lawrence is the next coming of Michael Jordan on the basket uh, on the football field. If he has, doesn't have someone to block him, he'll be Archie Manning. And no one wants Archie Manning. That's not a slight towards Archie Manning because he's a Hall of Fame type quarterback, but it's because he was the best quarterback on the worst team for forever because the Saints did nothing to put anyone around him. In my opinion, and I agree with you, in my opinion, though, what the Cleveland Browns are doing to Baker Mayfield is the number one reason why all QB draft type is is BS, in my opinion. Like, you literally based that entire draft on one guy. He revitalized your organization. You built the whole thing around him, brought you back to the playoff, one playoff game, and four years later, you decide that he is no longer relevant to your organization or your plan, and you're going to go get someone who has not played a football game in two years to replace him. Yeah, that's a good point. And 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 the draft now becomes like, what, 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 what is like, it? But part of that also, and I know this is, it's, it's a, that's why it's an interesting conversation. Part of that is also the previous regime valued Baker Mayfield at number one, which is just, that's why they all got fired probably. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's part of what you're dealing with too, is you got dudes with egos that are making these decisions that are like, no, I believe this guy's the first overall pick. So now I'm going to take him first overall Rocky, not because it's the real smart decision for the organization, because I want to prove to people that Baker Mayfield is that good of a quarterback. So if I take him first overall and then he is that good, I look like a genius. Well, yeah, but you you're overvaluing the kid so that you look that never works. If you draft Based on, and I like this, Mike Tannenbaum said this the other day on the radio and I thought it was a great point. And it said to myself, you know what? That is why actually Mike Tannenbaum was able to get the Jets to two AFC championship games as a GM and and the Dolphins back to the playoffs with none other than Adam Gase as their head coach and Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback and then Matt Moore. But because he said, when we went to the draft uh, process, all we did was rank every player from best to worst. So if we were on the board number six, let's say, and the first player on our board was a quarterback and the first five picks weren't that quarterback and we got to pick number six, we were taking that guy. We were getting the best player that we believe was available at that moment. You can never have too many of each position good. And I said to myself, you know what? That's crazy, but it's true. You know, like just go draft what you believe at that moment is the best player it doesn't ha- don't get blinded by the offensive positions because sometimes you could get just as good of players later on in the draft and have built a more um, deep team. Yeah, yeah, and that's I listen. That's why that's I'm what happy the Giants did. Kayvon, yeah. That's why I'm happy they took Kayvon Thibodeau first before they took Evan Neal. Yeah, I thought that they, was they great. were getting they were getting an offensive tackle, but they were going to get one or the other. They were going to get they were going to get the defensive side. And they were going to get the offensive side with, with each of those two first picks, which is exactly what everyone needed to do. So the fact that they didn't trade it, they didn't do anything stupid with it, I'm very happy about. And then when you go take Kayvon Thibodeau, you're like, that was the best guy for them. They've, they've ranked those offensive tackles as the same. Still, they're happy with whoever. So, you know, like I'm, so I was, I was happy with the way they went about those first two picks. And, it, they picked seven defensive players overall in the draft, okay? 
and they picked three offensive linemen. They got two guards, and as you just noted, Evan Neal, the tackle. I think that is um, that's great. And along and all while doing that, you throw in getting a tight end. Who I watched the tape on the the the, the Bellinger kid, uh, San Diego State, right? Um, yep. He's pretty good. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be, but when I was watching a lot of the analysis and and seeing the tape, this was a pretty deep tight end draft. So I think the reason why they didn't go, and even wide receiver, right? Like they got the kid from Kentucky. I think he's pretty good. And, you know, you had the chance to get other highly ranked, quote unquote, you can't see me doing that right now, wide receivers early on. But the Giants said, no, we need the line on both sides of the ball. We can still get a high end wide receiver and a high end tight end to help out Danny Jones and Saquon Barkley later on in the draft and they did just that while also solidifying key positions man all over the field that they needed so that's awesome they did they did good they did good so I've got a few minutes the other two storylines I want I want to point out a everyone's waving over the jet so just you know I think that that's you know, that could good, good for the Jets. You know, way to go, Jets. You know, you'll still be, you know, nine and seven, or I guess, you know, nine and nine and eight, whatever the new records are at, uh, at like two games over 500. That's what you'll be. Um, that's kind of your franchise history. So, you know, congrats to you guys. I'm feeling good about your draft, but I just want to remind you, you felt this good four years ago when you drafted Sam Darnold. Right. That's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> I agree. But the difference is, this time they didn't draft they they didn't draft the quarterback they drafted people to help the quarterback and I think that's yeah. where I I know you do love yoking on the Jets and I understand right but you do you do have to give this regime some type of credit because in the last year and a half this is by far and I feel the same way about the Mets it's literally parallel the most functional and arrow ticking upwards this organization has been in a really long time and I'm not a a Jets fan obviously I'm a Dolphins fan so I don't want them to be good but at the same time it's enjoyable to me when both New York teams in any sport are good and so I'm I'm down if both the Jets and the Giants can take these drafts and run them into 10 year wow this is it is fun football again in New York yeah, for sure. And then my last thing I'll leave you with, I probably, actually there's, I'm fired up about the Mets second no-hitter in history. I'm, I'm, I've, it's, I've changed, they've changed my perspective on combined no-hitters because I've decided it's actually harder because you have to have four people do it than, and, and not just one. Um, I, it's not, definitely not harder, by the way. Um, but I am happy to have one, so that's cool. And I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that one. There's, there's something I just want you to watch. I caught a segment on ESPN yesterday it was a whole segment on losing teeth in the NHL and what it means. And like they were correlating no teeth to winning Stanley cups. <laughs> That's great. And it was a fantastic five minute segment. You got to watch it. That is great. Okay. Yeah. You guys send that to me. Maybe I'll share it on the, uh, the Rome show at wide world of Rome Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look for it. I appreciate that. It was, you. it was good. It was good. Danica was on there. Um, they were they were voting like who's got the best smile, the no teeth smile. So Brent Burns, Ovi was up there. That's really um, funny. Drew Dowdy is a good one. So like, there's a lot of there's a lot of good ones. That's great. Uh, hockey is just such a unique sport. Like I just, it's so yeah. unique. It is awesome. Yeah, they came up. There's like two thirds of all NHL players had some sort of dental work done like throughout their career. <laughs> is that a real stat? <laughs> Yeah, they said it. They said it. Yeah. 
Wow, that's crazy. Two-thirds, so 66.7% of the National Hockey League has had some significant dental work done because of hockey. Yeah, absolutely. The one, I mean, they, they did a story about one guy from Florida and his dad is a dentist and he took a, he took a slap shot literally right in the face, like lost like wow, all of his front teeth. Dude, that's yeah. crazy. Well, I lost my two front teeth on your head once for four years. True story. That is a true story. So that's kind of crazy. So I, I understand. I should have been interviewed in that documentary. I know the yeah. pain. Not- <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know the pain. <laughs> So it's a good one, but yeah, stay tuned for that. But um, outside outside of that, I mean, I I like the NFL draft when it's when it's actual. You know, I feel like there was a real strategy to it this year, and, and a real team team you know real team focus. So that's why I was like, you know, maybe they should do two drafts, one just for quarterbacks, like maybe that first day instead of it being the first round, it's just quarterbacks, and then you know they they do everything else. That would be very a very interesting twist to this whole thing. Like, the, but that would be like if in baseball they said, "Okay, we're only going to draft pitchers today and position players tomorrow." I, which at this point in in the world where they just expanded the rosters for another month because of injury, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, it's, it's also a good point. I, it's just it's so mind blowing to me that there's so many professionals that play baseball, but yet there's still not enough pitchers. To, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's. I think we're missing something here in, in, in professional baseball in terms of the development. I don't know. I mean, listen, if you're going to have these specialty guys on the roster that throw, that throw for two, three, four pitchers, like now with the new rules, like you might as well just have them play in the outfield. What do you mean? Like, if I've got a, I mean, I, I've got pitchers on my roster who are literally in, in on roster to throw for like the minimum number of batters three. because it's a specialty role. Right, yeah, I, I do think so. What, like, yeah, right. what, wouldn't you want them to be able to a run, b hit a little bit, or c like play the outfield? So you're saying that we should start getting more type versions of Shohei Otani in baseball? I, I mean, at least from a reliever standpoint. I mean, why that would wouldn't be you want sick. some? That'd like, be a great idea. I mean, think, think, think about how how powerful it was for for the Mets to be able to pinch to pinch run with with I think it was Noah Syndic or or Jacob Degrom used to pinch run. Yeah. Yeah, not anymore. I mean, now he's one Cy Youngs. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna sit here. You're gonna sit here and bury me on pitch count and why we got to protect the ground. But like, at, like he was good enough to run. Like, why wouldn't we put that? Why wouldn't we put that responsibility on our relievers to be able to be athletes? I, I I dig that. Um, I dig that you're saying that. I don't think that Degrom should be running anymore. But I get what you're saying is that if we're gonna have relief, well. I do think I don't know. We could talk about this forever. The yeah, reliever is, thing is changing. It is changing. <laughs> I don't think it's it's the specialized thing isn't as much. I don't think it's big anymore uh, because I don't know if it can be big anymore. Um, so that is also part of it. But I do I do see the cool, interesting value of what if we started developing these relievers that were able to pitch me three outs and also in that process. If I had, if I needed to, I could take, I could lose the DH. They could hit, or you know, they could, they could be a dual guy on the roster, pinch hit on another day. I don't know. Like we're sitting here trying to figure out how a first baseman gets in a game who can't catch, but like you want him on your roster as a DH, so you got to figure out a like you're you're like you're finding these DHs who need to be able to play the field for like twenty games, like. Wait, you have that exact guy on your roster Turn already. Turn Don Smith into a reliever. A sort of, but that's my point. Like, you're looking at these guys that like, go, oh, they can't do anything else but hit. But, like, what if they were pitchers? 
Yeah, no, listen, I, I mean, uh, pitching at the major league level is hard. So if you throw a 92 mile per hour fastball straight all the time, it'll get hit. But he is left handed. That does change things. We, you got, you have a great point. I'm not saying your point is wrong. I'm saying that it would have to start from a smaller level version of Shohei Otani, a guy that in the minors hits a little bit. Does a really good job pitching, and the big league ball club says, we're going to bring you up here as probably a pitcher first, and then on days we know you're not pitching, you'll probably be a, a pinch hitter, or if we get late in the game, you'll be a pinch hitter. You know what I'm saying? But I agree with your point of we there needs to be more value. There could be more value to certain players on each roster. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There could be. You're right. You're right. I'm not, I don't disagree with you. I got to get going. All right. Hey, it's always a blast. We appreciate you. All right. Later, Romos. Wow. That's a great. It's just always exceptional. Really, really good stuff there. Out of Rocky Romanella. We, we appreciate him every morning on the Rome show, as we do every time Rocky exits the show. We take a quick commercial break, and then we come back to finish. The Rome Show. We're on 12-Ounce Sports Radio. We are on Zingo TV channel 761. We're on Facebook. We are definitely on YouTube. We're also on Twitter. And you can get the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Wide World of Rome or The Rome Show Podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can get the show. We make it really easy for you. We'll be back after this. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. This is the Rome Show here on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. Zingo TV channel 761, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, live. You just got to be searching Wide World of Rome whenever you get on those platforms. You'll find what you need and also the podcast. We mentioned it before the break. We were just on as we do the first hour with Rocky Romanella, the younger, junior, if I may, the second, seventh, depending on which Rocky Romanella you start at. Either way, we were on with a Rocky Romanella. And he mentioned something, and I want to get back to the NFL draft. I would like to get back to, I want to give you the rundown on the Jets, but, but really quickly, he mentioned the Mets no-hitter. It was, if you don't know, let me fill you in. The Mets threw a 159-pitch, multiple-pitcher, no-hitter against the Philadelphia Phillies the other night. The most pitches thrown in a no-hitter in Major League Baseball history. And to understand how hard it is to throw a no-hitter, 
you have to understand that there are 27 outs in a baseball game. Okay. So you have, and it's not getting 27 straight people out because then that would be a perfect game. So a no hitter means that no matter what, somehow, some way, somebody gets on base. Like if I struck out 27 batters in a game and on one of those strikeouts, the guy got to first base because the catcher dropped the ball and then it kicked off his shin and went into the other dugout, whatever. That's not a perfect game. It's a no-hitter. It's not a perfect game. So no matter what, someone's going to get on base in a no-hitter. So Tyler McGill starts the game for the Metropolitans, goes five innings, 88 pitches. Uh, from the onset, you're like, what? why would he not finish that game? But then you realize when you watch the game, he's walking people, he's not around the zone, a lot of 3-2 counts, right? So Buck makes the right decision to pull Tyler McGill. And someone said to me yesterday, it might have been one of the Rocky Romanellas, someone said to me yesterday, well, if you're Tyler McGill, wouldn't you be mad? that you're getting pulled while you have a no-hitter going, regardless of how many pitches you've thrown? And I said, well, the way I think about it, if I'm Tyler McGill, I'm not that satisfied with the way I'm pitching on this day. Yes, I have given up no hits, but I've given up no hits while walking, I think it was five, maybe it was four, either way. Let's call it four. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. By walking four guys over five innings. So that is not good. And so what that tells me is when Buck says to him, hey, Ty, you're done. He's not thinking he hasn't given up a hit. He's think, he's got, he remembers runners being on base. He, does, he, he probably remembers that he walked guys. But he probably, it's just the, in the midst of the moment in the competition and the fact that four runners had been on base, Schwarber had stolen a base, so he was on second. It didn't have the feeling of a no-hitter. So it's probably, it was probably the best possible scenario for no pushback as to why this man was pulled from the game. It's, I bet people didn't even realize there were no hits. Because there were walks and base runners on base. So it looked like there were people on. It looked like it wasn't anything special. And so then you go through, staff gets a no-hitter, and it's awesome. But I don't, I think, no, a Tyler McGill, unlike the Clayton Kershaw seven-inning no-hitter that was he was pulled from, that's different to me. You got six more outs. You've gone this far. You're that late in your career. Just go for it, man. But this one, I'm agreeing. If I'm the manager, in the, I'm thinking at the end of the fifth inning, if I let this man go back out there, these walks are going to turn into a two- or three-run homer, and now we're losing this game, and he's only given up one hit today. So I found that a really interesting question, and I liked it because we did comparative to what happened with Clayton Kershaw uh, last week. It, it, it seems like the same, but it's really not. And maybe... And part of it is, right, obviously Clayton Kershaw had to walk a few guys. Errors, whatnot, guys get on base, more pitchers are thrown. But for him, it's like, dude, you're, you're like, you gotta go, maybe you retire at the end of this year. Like, screw it, man. Go after it. But that's just me. 
Back to the draft, because I, I did say I wanted to give uh, the rundown on the Jets draft uh, because it was pretty good. And I know we have some Jets fans that listen to the show. Sauce Gardner was the fourth overall pick in the draft, the Jets' first overall pick in the first round. QB out of Cincinnati. Um, a lot of hype out of this guy. And I think the Jets did a really good job in this draft. I think they got a player at each position that they believe can really help their team, okay? More specifically, their quarterback, Zach Wilson. A lot was done to help Zach Wilson. And yet, the fourth and the 10th overall pick in the draft, and you were able to get a cornerback that people believe can become the next great lockdown corner in the National Football League. And you got a wide receiver in Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State that people believe is legitimate number one quality wide receiver next 10 years in the National Football League. So within the first 10 picks of the draft, those two went to the Jets. Huge. Then you make the move to trade back into the first round for the 26th overall pick, and you take edge rusher Jermaine Johnson the second, which a lot of... I think I heard some both sides of the feels on this one. I like it. I like it. Man, you got a corner. You get an edge rusher. You got a wide receiver. So now there's another weapon for your young quarterback. And then with the next pick, they take Ohio State running back Brees Hall, who I love. I think Brees Hall was probably actually a Heisman favorite going into the year. One of the best running backs in 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 the NCAA over the last like three years, and they have a pretty good running back core. They have the Michael Carter kid, um, but I think Brees Hall is a special player. He'll be a special player. And that was at thirty six. Two guys to help your quarterback. Two guys to help your defense. They got a pretty good tight end at Ohio State, Ruckert, and then an offensive tackle and another defensive end. So I think. The Jetropolitans did a really good job. And utilizing their four picks, sorry, or it took me a quick second to count how many picks, even though I just said it out. Four picks in the first round. Um, and I think both New York teams have really set themselves up um, swimmingly, may I say. Some other stuff that happened, the Eagles traded for A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans. I thought that was a phenomenal trade out of them. Um, hugely important. The Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Kenny Pickett. I don't know if Kenny Pickett's going to be the guy, the next Ben Roethlisberger, if I may. Nah, I can't keep hearing that. But either way, um, so we'll see. They signed Mitchell Trubisky for on a two-year deal, so we'll see about that. A sneaky great pick, uh, and I know a lot of guys, it's still depending on who you talk about with the running back position. I still think the running back position matters. I don't believe the running back position matters as high as Dave Gettleman had drafted Saquon Barkley or as high as the Panthers had drafted Christian McCaffrey. Insert losing seasons everywhere here for both of those organizations since those picks have happened. Either way. With their third pick, 41st overall, the Seahawks took Kenneth Walker third, running back out of Michigan State, and I think that's a phenomenal pick. I think he is a, a, a bruiser type, underrated type, 
going to be mad at people for him being drafted in the second round type guy. And nothing you hear about this this man is that he's a great teammate, other stuff. So I think underrated pick. Um, you're going away from the Russell Wilson error in Seattle. I don't personally believe that Drew Locke is the answer. I thought they had multiple opportunities to take a quarterback. They clearly don't believe in those quarterbacks comparative to true Drew Locke, that it is what it is. Good for Drew Locke, I guess. We've seen this happen in Seattle before, though. I thought I was seeing the second coming of Russell Wilson where you signed like the Matt Flynn, then you drafted the fourth-round quarterback, and then there goes Matt Flynn's career. But it didn't happen, so we'll see. You know, Maybe that helps Drew Locke because he's got some some backing, I should say, from the organization that just traded their star quarterback and picked him up. The Titans that were the ones that ended up getting Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty, I find that very interesting because I don't think Ryan Tannehill's the answer. And there's, I think, two years left on that Ryan Tannehill contract. So the Tennessee Titans now have about a two-year span where Malik Willis could be developing into a quarterback, another guy probably with a chip on his shoulder. That man sat at the draft the whole first day. Such a stupid decision. Like, if you're a borderline first-round draft, what are you doing? The Washington Commanders didn't do anything, I think, spectacular. Uh, they, they did take that quarterback, uh, Sam Howell, out of North Carolina. Started a lot of games there, and I always find that very interesting. Plus, I love Ron Rivera. I really do. Um, their starter right now is Carson Wentz, so that'll be interesting to see um, as we move through. Um I like the Dolphins draft. They didn't have a lot of picks, um, but I think they did a good job with those picks. Oh, the Atlanta Falcons. That's another team I wanted to mention getting Drake London. Think now about Kyle Pitts and Drake London on that same offense. So I find that very interesting. They drafted Desmond Ritter. That's the quarterback out of Cincinnati. I think he was a little underrated going into this draft, Um, but who am I, I guess, you know, I think we, I think it's all, I really do. I think it's a crapshoot. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I, I thought the Lions did a really good job. They got Aiden Hutchinson number two overall. I find it mind blowing to me, um, that the Packers never use first round picks on wide receivers, but they did get a good one out of North Dakota state in the second round, that Christian Watson guy. So that's positive for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I thought it was a really intriguing draft because there were so many good players on the board at many different spots, um, which is awesome. And I think that, that to me, makes a good NFL draft. Not necessarily what quarterback is the best. I, 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 don't, I don't really care. It, it doesn't make, I, for me, I find very interesting the drafting of linebackers and safeties and edge rushers and offensive tackles and because that that is what will win you games. The quarterback's sexy. The wide receiver's sexy. The running back's sexy. You need them all. A lot of people believe no quarterback, no championships. I believe no lines, no championships. You can win. Jimmy Garoppolo proves to us that you can Reach the pinnacle. Now, have they won a Super Bowl? No. But you're not winning a Super Bowl every year. Okay? So you might go to a championship game, lose. Go to a Super Bowl, lose. Before you win a Super Bowl. Insert any guy that took forever to win their own first championship. It's a team sport. It isn't just one guy. 
But if that guy isn't protected and the guy on the other side isn't feeling pressure, I feel like it's impossible to win a championship in the National Football League. That is why I really like this draft. And I thought it was very fun to watch from the outside looking in. And we'll see. A lot to go, obviously, before you get to the National Football League season. There's always going to be two or three guys that choose not to sign their contract because of whatever stupid reasons, and they're late to camp. Um, there's a bunch of wide receivers on the market right now, or at least they they believe they're they're on the market because uh, they don't want they want money, and the teams that they're on don't want to pay them. So it's going to be interesting. the The remainder of the NFL offseason is going to be very interesting to see. The Rome Show here, 12 on Sports Radio. Zingo TV channel, 761 Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Live, few more minutes left on the show. Want to get back to Major League Baseball. Um, anything you got at, at Wide World of Rome, um, wherever you follow us on social media. Um, Mets and Yankees, two best records in Major League Baseball. Phenomenal stuff. Um, it's a way too early to have any conversation in, in baseball. Uh, people do not understand. And I think football has done this to us. Football has made people that are fans of also baseball think to themselves that you can win and lose a championship in May. You cannot win a championship in May. It's not possible. You can't win it in May, June, July, August, or September. You sure as hell can lose a championship in May, June, July, and September, and August. Forgot that month. You can, if you go on a nine-game losing streak, if you put yourself in such a big hole that all of your best baseball play that happens during the year is going to happen just to get yourself closer to five hundred, which is essentially going to kill you because you can't sustain that for forever. One hundred and sixty-two games. Someone great once told me. That in Major League Baseball, there's 162 games, okay? You're going to win 61 games, and you're going to lose 61 games, okay? That would equate to 122 games total. That would leave you 40 remaining games. So this person once said to me, You're going to lose 61 games. You're going to win 61 games if you're a Major League Baseball team. It is very rare that a team does not win 60 games in Major League Baseball. Because let me put this into perspective for you. If you are a 60-win ball club, that means you're also a 100-loss ball club. So that means you're 60 and 102. That's not good, ladies and gentlemen. Not very good at all. If you're a 60-win ball club in basketball or hockey, that's very good, ladies and gentlemen. But if you're a 60-win ball club in baseball, that's not very good, okay? So everyone's going to win 61 games. Everyone's going to lose 61 games. It's what you do with those other 40 games that is going to determine whether you're a great team, a good team, an average team, or a non-playoff team. That's what it's what it is. And you can't pick and choose when those 40 games are going to happen. Presumably, those 40 games are from mid-August to the end of September, start of October. But that's not the case. As we 
noted earlier with the St. Louis Blues, if you remember their Stanley Cup run in the National Hockey League some years back, maybe the COVID year, maybe not, I can't remember. Rosalita, all that good stuff. They were the worst team in the National Hockey League in January. And then they won the Stanley Cup. So those things can happen. But when you're playing 162 games and you're digging out of an eight, nine game hole, 25 games in, you have 130 some odd games remaining and you're already eight games under 500. That's a daunting task. Playing every day by nature in baseball, you're going to lose games. Even if you are trying your hardest because your body on, if you've played six straight games, like that's hard. Like people think people see and perceive baseball as an easy sport, which is the dumbest thing ever. So first and foremost, you're stupid. If you have that opinion, secondly, people also perceive it as a not very um, hard on the body. I'm going to say sport, which is so incredibly false because by nature, throwing a baseball is unnatural for your body. So even if all I did was be the catcher on one knee and the only thing I did all day was throw the ball back to the pitcher, not receive, not block, not get foul tips into the body, none of that. I just sat there and threw 120 pitches back to the pitcher, whether I flicked them or threw them slightly hard. That alone is unnatural for the body let alone what goes on, you know? So to, to think that it's not hard, is cr- especially, and that the body wouldn't get worn down is crazy. 162 games is insane with not a lot of off days. So you can't win a championship in May, but you, you sure as well can lose one because you can put yourself in a really big hole that's really hard to come back from. And you spend those 40 games, that 40 games with which you were trying to make the uh, 30 and 10 record, probably are now 20 and 20 record, and you finish the year at 81 and 81 because you spent so much time digging yourself, wasting those 20 of your 40 wins, not getting from 500 to 10 games over 500, but you wasted them getting back to 500 so that when you started winning, losing, winning, losing, lose, lose, win, lose, win, win, lose, 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 win, win, like you are as a 500 team, you just stay at 500. So I'm excited the Mets are, are great. I'm excited the Yankees are great. I, I love, I made this point on the show multiple times. I'm a Mets fan, but I'm not, I'm more of a baseball fan first. I love when the Mets and the Yankees are good. Together, I noted it earlier, when two New York sports teams are good at the same time, it is electric. So that's what I got for you on the New York sports. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are currently 15 and 8, and I love it. What is great, will be, could be great for Major League Baseball would be the Angels to be good and in the postseason. You got to get Trout and Shohei in the postseason. Noah Syndergaard's on that team now, by the way. That's a whole aside. But you got you, for Major League Baseball, you need your Steph Curry. You need your Giannis Antetokounmpo. You need your Chris Pauls in the postseason. And two of those superstar quality players play on a team that is never in the postseason and plays in California. 
which means for half the country, their games are on starting at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, depending on which half part of the half the country you're on. But it's way too early, as we just noted, but it's exciting because the rest of the teams in that division suck right now. So by chance, if they are just better than good, maybe not great, they could win that division, and then you get those two guys in the postseason, the Marlins, in second place in the National League. National League right now, not as not as good as you, you might think. Everyone thought the Phillies and, were, and the Braves were really going to compete with the Mets for the top of this division. I don't think people put enough value on clubhouse guys, and Freddie Freeman might have been a clubhouse guy for Atlanta besides the fact that he was one of the best first basemen in Major League Baseball. You you just don't put a premium. You, you, sometimes... You just don't disrupt the apple cart, even if it means giving him the extra $5 million or the extra two years on his contract. Manders brought you a World Series, helped bring you a World Series. It's a team sport. And I'm not saying that's the only problem. But his team gives up a lot of runs, and they're not hitting the ball. They're not offensively that great. And I just I think they made the wrong decision there. Um, and and lastly, as it as it was predicted, not by me, but by a lot of people. And as it kind of was last year, too, the National League West is super interesting with the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, and the upstart Colorado Rockies all within a game and a half of first place. Now, I've seen this movie too many times with the Padres and the Rockies. Only the Giants and the Dodgers over my lifetime have proven to me that they can be teams that get to the World Series. The Rockies haven't done it since Todd Helton. The Padres haven't done it since Tony Gwynn and the closer guy that would come sprinting in second all-time. Trevor Hoffman, his name is, came to me late. Haven't done it since then. But the Dodgers, the Giants, they proved to me they can't. That is a fun division to watch. And I think the NL West will easily be the hardest division to win in Major League Baseball this year. I appreciate everybody tuning into the Rome Show today, 12-ounce sports radio, Zingo TV channel, 761, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter live. I'm sorry there was no video, but you know what? You didn't have to see my face. Face doesn't look great today, so it's probably better for you. 12-ounce sports radio. I mean, at Wide World of Rome, stupid Twitter. And Instagram. Get your podcast ready to listen to podcasts. Peace. Um, thank you for listening.